We are in a series entitled Making Room. Um, and so last week we talked about making room for a miracle. If you missed it, I want to encourage you to go back, uh, watch it on YouTube. You can listen to it uh, through the podcast at Anchor Ben TX. Uh, really talked about how that when we make room, it really allows God the ability to, to create miracles in our life and that how God has called us to live lives with margin. Today I'm going to talk about specifically financial margin, financial margin. Next couple of weeks we'll do other topics, but if there was ever a day where we need financial margin, how many know it's today? Uh, so many people live under duress. They live under financial pressure. And if we're not careful, the world tells us it's normal. It's normal to be fully leveraged. It's normal to live paycheck to paycheck, moment to moment. You know, that's what everybody does. That's how everybody does it. And I just want you to know that today is I'm here to help you message. That so many people, that they live that way because they don't know any better. You know, they, they bought the lie that the enemy has sold them through the propaganda of the world that that's normal. And I'm telling you that God's got a greater way. God's got a better way. You don't have to live paycheck to paycheck, moment to moment. You don't have to be under the financial pressure and duress that everybody else is under. And so today, I'm going to give us some hope. I'm going to give us some practical tools. And for some of you, you'll be here, you'll be like, Pastor, amen, this is a good refresher. But for everyone else, I'm asking you to ask God, God, what do I need to learn? What is it that I need to take away so that when I walk out these doors, my life is different, my life is better? And the message notes, I want to encourage you, take them home. You got the paper notes, you can follow along through the Bible app, the digital version is there. And uh, take notes with you so that you can think about it, ponder it, and dive deeper into it this week. Now, if you're taking notes, which I want to encourage you to write this down, everyone write this down. What is margin? This is how we're defining margin. Margin is the amount available beyond what is necessary. The amount available beyond what is necessary. So in other words, it's the difference between what you have and what you need. So how does that play out practically? Here, here's a way. So you make $3,000 in a month and you spend $2,500. How many know you have $500 in margin? Okay, here's another thing. You make $3,000 a month and how many know you spend $3,000 a month? How much margin you got? Zero. Now, some of you are like, oh, Pastor, I got that beat. I make $3,000 a month and I spend $3,500 a month. <laughs> That's a whole different message. We're going to talk about that on another day, different day, different time. Margin, the amount available beyond what is necessary. What does that look like in our everyday life if we were to have a life where we have financial margin? Well, it's having money left over at the end of the month. I mean, no, it's nice to look at your bank account and see it's actually growing and not diminishing. It's having money available to help people that need something. Have you ever been in a place where someone has a need and you have been just redlining it, you've got no financial margin, and you want to help them, but you know if you help them, it's going to put you in a bind? Nobody wants to live that way. Now, I'll tell you, there are seasons that you might go through where you experience that, but here's what I'm looking at. Is that the pattern of your life? If we were to look at the whole of your life, is that the way you have lived your life your entire life? 
What's margin in, in finances look like? It means that you can give money away without feeling worried whether or not you're gonna make it. That you can, did you know if you've got financial margin, you can actually purchase margin? So how, what do you mean, Pastor? Well, look, if you've got financial margin, how many know you could pay someone to cut your grass? All the men said, amen. <laughs> Think about this, you've got financial margin, how many know you could pay someone to clean your house? So it allows you to spend and invest in other areas. I mean, you can pay someone to do some honeydews. See, financial margin gives you the ability to purchase margin in other areas of your life. And so financial margin is critical. It's critical if you're going to have peace. It's critical if you're going to live in this world and not be of this world. I can't tell you how many people live anxious and worried and afraid. And when you get to the root of all the anxiety and the fear, it really comes down to the root of, I don't know if we have enough money to provide for what we need. And the crazy thing, even in marriages, did you know that most marriages that end in divorce, the number one cause was the fact that they fought over money? It was money problems. Can, can you imagine? I mean, <laughs> I, for me, like marriage is already bringing an incompatible man with an incompatible woman, and you're bringing them together. I don't need anything making it harder. You know, that's what God's grace is for. And so it's like the enemy, what he wants to do is he wants to try to divide you any way possible. And financial stress and pressure is one way that couples and married uh, spouses get pulled apart from each other. God doesn't want you to live that way. I'm going to tell you like this. God wants you to live a life with financial margin. Look at Proverbs 21.20. Here we have the wisest man giving us wisdom. He says, in the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all that he has. So what's he saying? He's saying, in the house of the wise, there's margin. In the house of the wise, there's what? There's more than enough. In the house of the wise, there's what? There's more than you actually need. Now, notice what the Bible does not say. The Bible doesn't say that in the house of the wealthy is marching. You know what the Bible doesn't say? It doesn't say in the house of the two income earners there's more than enough. It doesn't say in the house of a six-figure income salaried person there's more than enough. Because here's the fallacy, and if you're not careful, it's the mirage you're always chasing, but you can never experience. It's like, I'll have margin when I make more, when I get more, when we're in a different place. And I want you to know, wherever you're at today, God wants you to live a life with more than enough. He says, in the house of the wise, in the house of the wise. So there's a wise way to manage resources, and then there's a foolish way to manage resources. And I see it played out in two types of people. I mean, you just see this one type of person. They got a beautiful house. They got the big yard. It's all manicured. They got the double doors that you enter through. They got the beautiful porch area. They got the high ceilings and high-end floors, super nice house. And the kitchen's got all the stainless appliances and, and the granite countertops and the multiple bathrooms and the closet that's as big as a bedroom. And they got the three-car garage and... They've got these beautiful, nice sports cars that they leverage themselves and make payments on. And when you come up to this person's house, here's what it looks like. It's like, wow, wow, man, these people are rich. Wow, because see, that's what the world values. 
So you walk into this rich person's house, but the problem is you don't feel what you think you should feel. You feel stressed. You see the anxiety. You can tell they've been fighting. And what we know is you got the wife. She didn't want to go back to work, but because they've, the lifestyle they lived, she had to go back to work. The husband's afraid in this downturn economy. If I lose my job, we could lose everything. They've been fighting in their marriage, fighting with their kids. They're totally stressed out. There's no peace. And there's absolutely no generosity because there's nothing for them to give. But the world says, oh, these people, they're rich. And I see a second type of person. Second type of person looks totally different. You walk up to their house and not really impressive. It's not, not ugly, it's just not impressive. A little bit of an older home and small yard, manicured, and no double doors, just walk in, no high ceiling, just a low regular ceiling, just one or two bathrooms and no granite on the countertop, just a regular countertop and regular old appliances. And, you know, you go into the closet, it doesn't look like a bedroom, just looks like a closet. And they got a two-car garage, but inside the two-car garage are older cars that have been paid for with no money, paying out on monthly payments. And you walk in this house, and though they don't seem rich like the world says, they feel very rich in a different way. There's peace. There's hope, there's no anxiety, there's no frustration. You don't see bickering over money. And when there's a need, they've always seems to have what they need to give to the need. They're generous. They're always looking for opportunities to bless people. And when you look at their life and you measure out their life, you're like, wow, these people are rich. And I want us to realize the way the world sees wealth and the way God sees wealth are two different things. Now, let me just give you a caveat. Here's your warning. I'm not saying just because you got the nice house and the car garages and, and the cars and all that that, that, that that's you, that you're implicitly not rich. Here's the question. Have you over-leveraged your life because of your lifestyle? So in other words, live on your level. Look, if you're a millionaire, live on the, the level of a millionaire, but don't lev- leverage everything. Have you paid cash for things or things bought for? See, there was a day that when you didn't actually have the cash to exchange for what you purchased, you couldn't purchase it. People say, I can't afford a car. Why? Because I can't pay cash for it. But now you go finance it and you say, well, I can afford it. I want you to know just because you can afford it doesn't mean you can afford it. So living on your level produces the margin that God wants us to live on. You're going to have to say no to some things. You're going to have to learn to be content in your heart. You don't need the latest, greatest gadgets. You know, it's like I was telling them earlier, I, I've learned to live with contentment. And, you know, in my life, I'm very simple. And thank God, Phyllis, you know, she, we just, we don't need a lot. These, these shoes, you're never going to see me on preachers and sneakers. These shoes are 10 years old. They look just as good. You polish them up. I break them out for Sundays. Like I, I love them. Don't get me wrong. I like new shoes and I like new clothes, but I got kids and I got a family. And I also like to give to the things that God wants me to give to. Somebody said, Pastor, you got a nice shirt. Yeah, thank you. This shirt's about six years old. I know you wouldn't think it because I take good care of my clothes. And I do this whole switcheroo. I wear it for about a year. I put it in the back of the closet, forget about it for a couple of years, and I pull it out. And everybody's like, wow, that's a brand new shirt looks good. Yeah. What? Come on. What am I talking about? I'm just talking about a new mentality because that's not it. The new mentality or everybody's like, oh, you got to have the latest, greatest. I tell my kids all the time. Oh, dad, I want them. I'm like, cool. 
You decide. See, I like having a nice house. I like having peace in my home. I like having money in my bank account. I like giving to legacy offering. I like being able to be generous. And son, I'm not giving this up for something that will never make me happy. It is an illusion. It is a mirage. There is this pursuit of what the world calls happiness that only ends up in the wrong place. Look at what Paul tells his spiritual son, Timothy, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 10. He says, but Timothy, now this is his spiritual son. It's be like me and Caden and Carson. I'm just trying to teach him the things of life, and I'm trying to have a heart-to-heart. He's having a heart-to-heart with us. Look what he says. He says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. He didn't say a little gain. He didn't say just, you know, some gain. My man said it is great gain. What? Godliness with contentment. In other words, I'm content with what I have. I'm satisfied. I like the nicer. I love the things that, look, I'd love to have an iPhone 13. I'd love to have all the new, latest, greatest styles and shoes. But there comes a point where it's like, God, I am content. You, I am satisfied in you, and nothing else can take that satisfaction away. And hear me, I'm not saying those things are bad. Just where are you at? You've overleveraged your life for it. Since we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. And, and that's where I see that first, that second family. Just content. I got a house. Man, I got the, the cars paid for. And, and I see the second or the first family right here, the one that's over leveraged. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction for the love of money. Now, don't mistake in that. Look, money's not evil. Money's a tool. It's where you put money in your life. Does money have you or do you have money? Like I serve God and I use money as a tool. Well, cool. But this is saying there is a love and if you're not careful, you will migrate your love from God to money. Look, it even says it's a root of all kinds of evil. Some people, look, they eager for money have wandered from the faith. They migrated their hope in God, their trust in God, and they have pierced themselves with many griefs. Think about the grief. What's the grief? Debt. How many know debt is a grief? How many know financial stress? That's a grief. How many know the pressure of, of knowing where and how I'm going to pay my bills? That's, that's, a, that's a grief that we endure when we don't live the way God's called us to live financially. Marginless lives. We live foolishly versus wisely. And why do so many people trade margin? Why do so many people trade flexibility and security for, uh, and peace for the material things that the world has to offer? Um, I want to tell you this. They have been deceived into the same lie that the world believes, and that's that things make you happy. There is this pursuit that never ends for this happiness. Like, how, how do you get happy? It's the next thing. How many have ever bought that thing and you realized you're happy for about 20, 30 days and then the payment for that thing comes along and you're not so happy? How many have leveraged everything? You spent your whole check on something and look, and there is a certain happiness to things. I'm not gonna lie, it's nice to have nice things, but you cannot ever forget as a believer that stuff will ne never make me happy. If I'm not happy now, it's a position in my heart with God because the joy of the Lord is my strength, that in the presence of the Lord there is joy and there is no amount of stuff that will ever position me to be full of joy except God. And that's really 
the thing we got to know, the culture's definition of happiness, more than I currently have. What's happiness? Just a little bit more. That next level, that next promotion, that next house, that next car, that next purse, that next pair of shoes. It's the next, the next, the next, the next. And the world will tell you, deserve it. You worked hard. You earn it. You can afford it. And you just got to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to. Here's what I would say. Lifestyle my way out of margin. I'm not going to lifestyle my way out of margin. You see, you see, when your pay increases, a lot of time your lifestyle increases. What if when your pay increased, your lifestyle stayed the same? Now you build this margin and God's like, oh, I can trust you. Oh, you've learned how to manage. I'm going to give you more. Because when God can get it through you, God will get it to you. He knows how to bless a person who is wise. Remember, it's not looking for someone who's rich. He's looking for wise people. It's a lifestyle problem. And it's even more than a lifestyle problem. Really what it is is a spiritual problem. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 19 through 21. Matthew chapter 6, verse 19. Don't store for yourselves treasure on earth where moth and rust destroy. So he's saying, look, there's a place where you can store treasure, and that's one place is earth. And this is really what the world teaches us, like collect, hoard, keep, Put it in a bank account. Like, like the more you get, the better off you'll be. And so that's the whole philosophy of the world. But he says, look, I want to change your mentality. Remember, we don't function as the world. You didn't come to a self-help seminar. You came to church. You came to hear what God says. You came to a place that says there's a better than the way I was doing it. Here's the better. Store for yourself treasure in heaven. Heaven. So here he's, he's saying, look, you can put your stuff on earth or you can migrate your wealth into heaven. Migrate it. So, so my job here is, I, I want to enjoy things on earth, but my greatest desire is that I migrate the wealth that God has given to me and migrate it into heaven. That as I give, that I'm giving to something that has eternal value. It's not just a feel-good campaign, it's a life change campaign. That we are depopulating hell and we're populating heaven. And that as we give into the kingdom of God, it stores up treasures in a place where moth and rust and dust, they cannot corrupt. And he says this, check this out, verse 21, for where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be also. Here's what it doesn't say, where your heart is, your treasure will be. Because that's how so many people have interpreted the verse, like, man, if my heart's there, I'll give. That's not what God said, oh, listen, your heart doesn't even have to be somewhere, but when you give, your heart will follow wherever your money went. Isn't that amazing? How that God, if I, so if I start to give, so if I start to give to the church, my heart goes to the church. And do you know that the church is a representative of God, that when you give to the church, you are literally giving to God himself, and there is something about it when people get saved, and it's my greatest fear. People get saved. God touches them. He brings them out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. He delivers them. He sets them free. They come to church, and nobody teaches them about how to put God first in their finances, and so then what happens is over time, they've never learned to be contributors, just consumers. The enemy starts picking them off. And after a while, they're like, hey, God, I just, I, like, I feel like I'm drifting. I feel like, you know, God, I, I was on fire for a little bit, but I'm drifting. Listen, if you're not investing in the things of God, you're not going to care about God himself. You're going to be pulled away. You're going to be pulled away. Because where your money goes 
your heart follows. Listen to one of the stats. It's, it's a staggering statistic. Christians, in general, give a less than 2% of their income to the church. 2%. Which means 98% of their income goes to the things of the world. And you wonder why it's so hard to get pulled back to God and pulled away from the world. It's because we invest in the things over in the mall than we invest in the kingdom of God. And don't get me wrong, I'm not saying the only place you can give is to the church. Tithe goes to the local church. But my question is, does God have all your resources? Not just the first 10%, but if you're at the grocery store, did God say you pay for someone's grocery and you're like, I'll do it. Go to the gas station. God says, hey, pay for their gas. I'll do it. See, when you start to do that, that's how you migrate your wealth from the things of this earth to the things of heaven. And God says, now you're storing treasure in heaven. It's listening and obeying. God, I'm going to listen to you and I'm going to obey. And I, I, here's what you have to know. And this, is, this may not feel good for you, but I didn't come to make you feel good. I want us to have some reality checks. Giving and where our heart is with God is one of the few things I can actually sit down with you and show you where you're at. See, forgiveness, like if Ashley is struggling with forgiveness and I'm like, hey, Ash, yeah, I think you forgive me. I can't see her forgiveness level. You know what I mean? I, I can't see Kinsey's mercy level. I can't, I, I can't see it. But I can tell you, based on the word of God, where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. I can tell you where your heart is. Let's sit down, let's go through your bank account, and let's examine how much you have actually given to God through the church, and we're going to begin to have a picture of where your heart is, and then we can diagnose the real issue. Why? Because it's a spiritual issue, not a temporal issue. Does that make sense? So, so you want to get rid of all this, this, this lust for the things of the world? You got to give God the first and the best. It breaks it off. It's like, wow, you're first. Why? Because as people, we have a tendency to be very selfish. Here's the way it goes. If God is not first, we'll walk through the mall. We're like, me, I, cool, I like that, cool, cool. And then we, how many have ever not had money, but you spend your money that you didn't have? Oh, I'm the same way. That's why I don't go to the mall. I'm not, I'm not window shopping because I don't have enough self-control. But here's what happened. If God is not first, if God's not first, we, we spend all we want and then we come back to church and we tip God. Wow. 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 Tell, tell me I'm not lying. We just, we tip him. We, we're we're going to give him a tip. How many know God is worthy of more than a tip? Yes. Yes. And so it's so funny to me too how much money feels so big in church and you take that exact amount and you go to the mall, you can't even buy shoes. But here in church, we're like, oh God, I'm going to do you a favor. Can I just tell you, God don't need your favors. God ain't broke. Heaven ain't broke. This church ain't broke. Just keep your money if you think you're doing God a favor. I'm trying to teach you kingdom principles and saying, God, if I put you first, it breaks something off of me. I got to break it off. Why? Because it's a spiritual problem. It's a spiritual problem. And then let me give you just the practical. This is going to be just a real practical. How do you create margin? Here's the, you know, super practical. Earn more, spend less. That's it. You already knew that. You want to build margin, earn more money than what you make right now, spend less money than you, or, you know, than you make, or do both of them. So, but you're smart. You can figure that out. And with this being a deeper root issue, I want to help you create margin spiritually, because it's a principle that happens spiritually and then it's manifested in the natural. Here's the answer, and it's very simple. You want to build financial margin in your life. Here it is. Write this down. Put God 
first in your finances. Put God first. Not second, not third, not last. I, in other words, listen, I'm not gonna give God my leftovers. I'm gonna give God my best. Some people come in and they just give God what is left over. I'm not, I'm not tipping God. God, I make a point. So in other words, here's what you have to do. When I get paid, when I get resources, God, I choose you. And there is something spiritual that happens when you choose God and you break out your phone. It's, I've done this my whole life since I was 14 years old. I cannot understate the value of this principle in my life. My mom's right over here, raised us in church, and I started my first job when I was 14, and I would give my tithes to the local church as a 14-year-old boy who by the time of 17 owned a t-shirt company, 18 multiple businesses, had seven properties. By the time we were 24, me and Steve, and opened up a restaurant, someone said, how did you do it? Are you smart? I'm okay, smart, but I served a God that you laughed a little too loud. <laughs> that I understood the principle of first and I wasn't out there trying to pursue money. I understood that God, I want your blessing. That the blessing of the Lord makes one rich and adds no sorrow to it. So it's not an age thing, it's a maturity thing. Listen to me, teenagers. Hey, I, I told the story of my son. He is 16 years old, tithing, giving his first and his best. And he was given, I didn't know anything about it. The Lord asked him to give all that he had, had no idea about this. He goes off on a mission trip, comes back, and lo and behold, two days after he gets back, we go to buy the truck of his dreams. God blessed him with a 1979 F-250, uh, Ford F-250. And I went back and we were walking through and I said, Caden, listen, I just want you to know something. You've, you've, uh, you've unlocked something that your mom and I have lived out our entire life because you think it's the amount. He was like, dad, it wasn't even that much. I said, baby, it's never about the, might, the amount. The widow's might, she had two mites. She said everybody else gave out of their wealth, but this widow walked up and gave more than all the rest. I said, son, what you learned in that is that when you put God first, when you advance what he wants you to do and make his house a priority, God will make you a priority. It's not about your age. Not about your age. And it is the most amazing thing. And I'm telling you, if you can grab a hold of this, it will change your life. Matthew 6, says, but seek first and most importantly, he says, aim at, strive after his kingdom and his righteousness. Now God's kingdom is his way of doing things, the way he operates it's a way of doing and being right, the attitude and the character of God, and all these things will be given to you also. Think about that. What's he saying? God first, he'll take care of everything else. And what we have missed many times is we gave our life to God, but we didn't give our money to God. So God is, we say God's first, but the truth is he's not first, and eventually you fall away from the church, not because God's bad, or anything. it's just you missed the principle that God, I seek you first. I, I get it. You got bills, I get it right now, you can't afford everything, I get it, but you have to overcome the fear that if I put God first, everything else will fall apart. Can I propose, what if everything's falling apart right now? If you don't like what you're getting right now, why not try it God's way? Because when we put God first, it says, I'll take care of everything else. So you gotta unlearn some things. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse six through 12. 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 12. This, I, I want to read this passage. 
and I'm going to share a few thoughts on it, and then I want to give you three benefits to putting God first, and it won't be long. But this passage, we're talking about the law of reciprocity. Let me help you understand what the law of reciprocity is. That's where if I sow, I reap. So whatever I sow, that which I reap. So here in an agricultural society, we see that. Rosenberg is, was country, now it's more, you know, uh, a suburb. You know, you kind of have it split. People, I remember the old country. Others, we're a suburb of Houston. But there's a lot of corn. There's a lot of agriculture. Well, you only get whatever seed, you, you only harvest whatever seed you plant. And so he's going to break it down for us, and he's going to help us understand this passage. He's not just talking about money. He's talking if you want forgiveness, sow forgiveness, and then you'll reap forgiveness. If you want friendship, then sow in being friendly, and you'll reap friends. Does that make sense? So whatever you need, you need grace. Some of you say, man, I just wish they would give me more grace. Here's what I would say. You probably need to sow in some grace. It's the law of reciprocity. So not just talking about money, but it does also include that here in verse six. Remember this. A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop. But the one who plants generously, what's he gonna get? He's gonna get a generous crop. Each of you must decide in your heart how much to give and don't give reluctantly or under responsive pressure. It's one of the things here at this church. We've never, you know, manipulate, you don't put pressure on people. It's like, look, here's the law of reciprocity. Whatever you, you reap, what you sow. Whatever God speaks to you, that's what you, you give and then God will give back. Look what it says, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully and God will generously provide all that you need. Then you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. Doesn't that sound like margin? I'm going to have enough, not only for me, but for me to give to others. And I love the posture. He says, cheerfully. We don't give to get. It's not manipulation. And don't do it grudgingly. Look, God doesn't need your money if you're upset about giving. It's cheerfully. There's a posture that says, God, you saved me. Jesus, you came to this earth. You gave your life, a sinless life. You lived and you willingly died on the cross. The least I can do is give you my life. And my life includes my money. It includes my resources. It includes my time. And I don't give it, give it grudgingly, but I give it so willingly. God, I give it to you because I love you. There is a posture of gratitude. Thank you that if I never received another thing, God, it was good. I appreciate it. If everything was wiped away, I would stand up just like Job and said, naked, I came and naked I go, but I will praise the Lord of my God most high. And when we have this just generosity, it's like, God, I'm so grateful. And so look at what he says. In verse 10, he says, for God is the one who provides seed for the farmer, then bread to eat. In the same way, he'll provide and increase your resources and then produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched in every way so that you can always be generous. So what's the principle? You reap what you sow. You sow little, you reap little. You sow much, you reap much. And here's my concern. So many people will say, God, I'm asking you to bless me. God, I'm asking, I need help financially. But you've not sowed any seed financially. You've not given God anything to multiply. I mean, wouldn't it be... Like we would say, that's just dumb if a farmer went out to the field and, and didn't plant any uh, corn seed out there and say, God, I'm asking you for corn in this field. God, I'm asking you do what only you can do. God, give me a miracle. And God's like, well, I can't really do that till you go sow some seed. And here's the concern. When you don't live God first, you live consuming your seed. 
So didn't you notice in this passage, and this is one of the things I learned as a 14, 15-year-old teenager, and I don't know who taught about it, one of the pastors taught about it, but it's stuck inside of me. It says, God is the one that provides seed for the farmer. So look, what you have in your hands, you didn't even provide. So not only am I robbing the seed of my future harvest, I'm robbing the God that gave me the seed for me to plant. And the devil would have you just believe the lie. Well, but it doesn't matter. And it's like, well, it does matter. And he can't rob you of your salvation, but he can rob you of your destiny. And the greatest thing he wants is powerless, pitiful, broke Christians who can't do anything to help people in the world because they don't understand the power of the seed, what God placed in this hand. Three things real quick. Three benefits, and I won't be long, just going to give you three. I want you, because I, I like the benefits too. I like to know, what is it, God? First thing is when you put God first, you become supernaturally content. There's something that breaks off the inside of you. When you put God first, the things of the world break off your life. Does it mean you never want them? No, I'm not going to say that. Does it mean you don't have to have discipline? I'm not going to say that. You still have to have discipline. But there is something that breaks off that love for those things is not as great as your love for Almighty God. Proverbs 15, 16 says, better to have a little with fear of the Lord than to have great wealth with turmoil. Everybody thinks, man, I just want more. I could, I'm going to take it with me. I mean, no, you can't take it with you. Reminds me of a story. It's one of my favorite stories. Uh, it's a hilarious story about a lawyer, a stingy lawyer. And I know I told it a couple of months ago, but I'm going to tell it again because it's my favorite. There's this stingy lawyer, and he's on his deathbed. He knows he's about to die, and he wants to beat the old adage that says, you can't take your wealth with you to heaven. So he devises a plan, and he tells his wife, baby, I want you to do this. Go get money out of our bank account, and I want you to fill up these two pillowcases full of money. And I want you to go take them up in the attic and put them right above where my bed is so that when I die, I can go to heaven grabbing the pillowcases as I go through the house to see Jesus. Well, the woman thinks he's crazy, but says whatever, does it, puts it there. A couple of weeks later, the lawyer dies, passes away, and the wife, she's up in the attic, not thinking anything of it, kind of forgot, sees the money bags sitting right over there, and she thought, that dirty dog, I knew he should have put that money in the basement. <laughs> Somebody's just now getting it. <laughs> you got you. It's one of my favorite. Why, why, but you can't take it with you. More doesn't make you happy. It's the relationship we have with God. It's putting God first. That's what gives us joy in our life. And you do that by putting him first. Second benefit is you experience God's blessing. Proverbs 3, 9, and 10. Honor the Lord with your wealth and with the best part of everything you produce. One translation here says first fruits. That first fruit is the principle of tithe, that when I make money, I give God the first 10% of everything I make. That's a first fruits principle. And I give it to the local church. That's how we give it through us to God. 
And he says, then your barns will be filled with grain and your vats will overflow with good wine. Well, again, look at what you're looking at. This is an agricultural society. They didn't have dollars and cents. Nobody's out there harvesting grain and, and making wine in the wine press. That was the way they did their economy and had commerce. And so his principle is you give me the first and the best and I will bless the rest. Some of you come to church week in and week out, but you've been robbing from God. You've got no seed in the ground and you're begging God to bless you but there is no blessing because his blessing comes with obedience. And I would rather you hear that from me, a pastor that loves you, that doesn't need anything from you so that you can change some things so that your life doesn't have to end the way it is right now. That God will give you the first and best and then you bless the rest. Look at what Proverbs 10, says. The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow to it. The blessing. See, you're not looking for more money. You're looking for the blessing. Look, your business, I was talking to my friend over here at his business, you're not looking for more clients. Yeah, we'll get those. But when you're blessed, more clients will start looking for you. You see the difference? You're out there chasing, and there is a point of discipline and going after it. But you cannot outrun the favor of God. There is something about when it's like every door. It's like, man, it opens up. Wow, God. That, and you just sit back. You're like, God, I, only you could do this. And what is that? That's the blessing of God. I want you to know God loves everybody equally, but God has favorites. Just hear me on that. What do you, what do you mean, Pastor? What? He favors those who obey him. He favors those that do his word. That's where the favor, Psalm 512 says, your favor surrounds me as a shield. I pray that all the time. God, your favor, just a shield everywhere I go. The blessing of God in this business, the blessing of God in my family, in my finances, in my marriage, and it all comes back to this principle of who's first in your life. Are you asking God to bless your life that you're in first place, you're in the driver's seat? Are you saying, God, I'll take second chair, I'm gonna let you be in the place. Would you just bless what you have already authorized and I'm gonna to do your work, your way, which is your will. Look at Proverbs chapter 8, verse 18, and this is the third and final point. You end up with more of what matters. You end up with more of what matters. Look at what it says in verse 18. With me, and this is God speaking, and here he's drawing out wisdom. Remember what we talked about at the very beginning? The house of the wise. And God is speaking here through the proverb as wisdom. With me are riches and honor. With me are lasting wealth and success. Do you know that wealth and success, God's way, lasts? It's not a get rich quick scheme. It's not a here today and gone tomorrow. Why? Because the principle that you used to build it was God's kingdom. And it's lasting. I don't know about you, but I don't want fleeting wealth. I want generational wealth. Here, here's it. So just get, what do you mean, pastor? I mean, look, this campus, we leveraged it. We had to, we had to get a mortgage. If anybody wants to pay it off, it's right now about 5.7 million, somewhere around there with all of it. But I promise you this, this is what I mean by lasting wealth. The generation that comes up behind us, this thing's going to be paid off. There's going to be no debt to this. And my goal is whenever I transition this church, not every building we have, every property we have will be paid for with money in the bank, with the ability for a new generation to advance with no debt, to step up and say, God, where do you want us to go? What do you want us to do? How do you want us to advance? That's wealth God's way. But hey, look, it didn't start that way. Look, we started with nothing. Cool, we'll take it, but we ain't going to stay this way. 
That's the way you ought to be in your life. Like, look, I don't mind the finance car, but the next one, can we pay for? Cool, on your house, got it. The next one, can you pay for? Generation, see, he just says lasting wealth and success. My fruit is better than fine gold. My gifts are better than the finest silver. I'm gonna leave you with this last, God, there's a God story. Someone sent me a story about putting God first in their life and then I'm gonna have you stand up and we'll close the service. She says, Pastor Jim, I wanted to share my story with you. I grew up Catholic, was never taught the importance or significance of putting God first in tithing. I remember baskets being passed around and me giving whatever change my dad gave me to put into the basket. It wasn't until I joined Anchor Bend that my eyes were fully opened. But even then, it was a constant battle within myself. My biggest reason for not tithing and putting God first was because I simply could not afford it. Here I was, a member of Anchor Bend Church and part of the dream team, and yet I still could not bring myself to tithe. And as time progressed, I began to feel unworthy, I began to feel embarrassed, began to not want to step foot anywhere near the church. I was so affected by this that I began to pray little, I began to stop reading my Bible, and actually started missing Sunday services. The joy and enthusiasm that I once felt was now gone. I want you to know this, God doesn't, that, that's the devil. The devil will condemn you and shame you. The, the conviction of God doesn't draw you away from God, it brings you closer to God. So today you ought to be feeling, if anything, it's like conviction or... So the enemy was trying to pull her away and then here's what happened, here's her story. I was alone in the office one Friday, decided to listen to the services that I had missed. And what do you know? I missed the series entitled The Blessed Life. My first thought was, come on, Pastor Jim, you must be in cahoots with God. I mean, you calling me out or what? It was after I listened to all the services that I made my decision to finally put my trust in God and to put him first. Who cares? And I love her transparency. Listen to what she says. She says, who cares if I'm a little broke and can't afford to get my nails done and my pedicure done that I so badly need? Come on. How many know? She's being honest. She said, but I'm proud to tell you this. This girl here tithed for the very first time, but wait, the story doesn't end there. Shortly after beginning my journey to tithe, I was given a raise. How about that? God not only showed up, but he showed out. I just wanted to thank you for your obedience in preaching the word.